You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. But if we have not had the chance to meet, my name is Lee, and uh, my wife Amy and I are blessed to be here at Ascend Church. I have the privilege of serving as the director of family ministries, and I spend a lot of my time with our students, our children, our young adults, in helping point them towards the Lord. And so today, we have an opportunity to study God's Word together. We won't be in Revelation. Uh, We'll be in Psalm 119. And uh, as we set up today's message, uh, my students and some of my leaders uh, have recently enjoyed their privilege of letting me know that I am old. Um, And so I sometimes feel old, but they let me know that as my hair goes away and my jokes are less funny and I lose contact with some of the newest trends that I am old. Some of them are even nodding their heads now. That's awesome. Um, But uh, with being a little bit older comes a little bit longer of an opportunity to have been interacting with things and making observations and seeing how Uh, much the world changes and how much the world really stays the same. And so some of the different trends or different uh, things that I have had the opportunity to see rise and fall in my lifetime uh, sometimes are really amusing to look back on. And so I lived in Los Angeles during the rise of the CrossFit experience where everybody I knew was starting a CrossFit gym in their garage. Um, and so then about six months later, I also had the opportunity to watch uh, a lot of those people try to get rid of all of the equipment that, that they purchased for their uh, CrossFit gyms in their garage. Um, as a kid, one of them that I remember the most was the Beanie Baby hysteria. And so that was just nuts, like people swarming McDonald's and all these other places to really bring out the best in their character as they tried to get these little bags of beans that look like stuffed animals. And uh, another one I remember as a kid that's actually getting some ways, they say, coming back. I was watched the Pokemon rise and fall and now renewal as the people who once loved it now have money to spend on more things for it. And uh, it comes back around, right? You know, so there are all these things that, that seem to rise and fall, but there are some things that I feel like have stayed consistent through that. And so I've had the privilege of serving in ministry in different states, in different positions, but there's one question that I get asked all the time. And that question is, how do I transition conversations to spiritual things? How do I start a conversation with somebody that I don't really even know if they have a concept of who God is? How do I start spiritual conversations with the people around me? And usually they add some element of without being weird or without being strange or making it seem natural or whatever it is. And so, you know, that question is something that, you know, I've wrestled with and I've had to to walk with. And I believe that God's word today in Psalm 119 has the answer for where that begins. And so I invite you to turn to Psalm 119, and as you do so, some of you may already know this, uh, and some of you will find this out uh, relatively quickly once you get there. Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in the Bible. Uh, And so we're not going to read it all today, because that would take probably the majority of my time. Um, But we're going to reflect on the first two stanzas of Psalm 119, as I believe that they set up an opportunity for seeing how we should be pointing ourselves to pursuing the Lord so that the big idea 
being that we can see how a transformed life will overflow to all aspects of our life. And I believe that at the core of that, we will find the answer to the question that we have posed this morning. But Psalm 119, we'll read verses 1 through 16 together. It reads, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man, wake, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So how do we begin to allow our transformed life to permeate into every facet or every arena of what we have in our lives? I believe that here in Psalm 119, we're going to see four pursuits of the psalmist that help us see how the transformed life will do that. The first of these is that we must follow the pattern of Scripture. I've had an opportunity to uh, spend some time reflecting and learning about the American education system, and it's a landscape that's constantly changing. Within it, there are some methodologies and ideologies that we as Christians cannot get behind. But I also believe that there are some beneficial things that they have within there that allow us to see the best possible opportunities for us to be instructing or to be learning on some things. One of those is this concept of brain-based learning. And brain-based learning seeks to engage the mind of an individual to put yourself as an instructor in such a place that the listener or the student has the best opportunity to hear and understand what you're teaching. And so what they've discovered is using things like motion or music, rhymes, melodies, we can engage a child's entire mind and body in the instructional method. And what I find really interesting about that is many of the things that they draw out of that we can find in the scriptures. We can find the way in which they use melody and poetry and music to give us instructions. We also find in the way in which they say there's certain times of the day that we're best able to center our focus on the Lord and other things. When we look at that, we see that a pattern is laid out in Scripture that we're called to follow if we are serious in seeking the Lord. And so the patterns of Scripture help us to see what we're to do. One of those patterns is laid out in the structure of this psalm. Psalm 119 is what's called an, an acrostic poem. As you look in your Bibles, many of them either have a Hebrew character or the name of that. The first one being Aleph, the second one being Beit. 
As you see that, it kind of marks the stanzas that are in there. But more than that, in the actual original Hebrew, each of those lines begin with the same letter. So in my Bible, the first line begins with blessed. The second line begins with blessed. Those are both Bs. If we were following it, and in the Hebrew, it would be similar to every line in the first section beginning with the letter A, every line in the second section beginning with the letter B, and so forth and so on all the way through the alphabet. And so it's structured as a way to help a person memorize and meditate upon the truths that are in there. Its focus is to delight in the Lord and to allow an individual to find satisfaction in the Lord, but it does so in a memorable way so that the hearer, the initial audience, would be able to work through that in a way that would aid them to meditate and reflect on God's word throughout their day. In our English translations, we kind of miss that because we don't follow that same form. We've translated those words and we lose some of the ease of doing that. But, if we're honest, we know that there are many things we do in our culture that set up rhyme and melody and other things for instructional methods. So if you're a parent, you probably see these all the time. The songs that we teach our kids have these types of characteristics in them so that we hear them singing them throughout the day, that they learn about how to tie their shoes or whatever the other message is that's in there. They're using these patterns to help with instruction. But these patterns are nothing new. These patterns are things that God has pointed his people at for many years. In fact, we can look back in the book of Deuteronomy at the Shema, the fact that the nation of Israel was called to always be putting themselves in a place that they were reflecting on who God was. It reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Those verses reflect on what a life that is saturated in the Lord looks like. It becomes a part of every aspect of who that person is. As they enter rooms, as they leave rooms, as they reflect on everything in their life, it points back to the truth of the gospel and who the Lord is. Back in Psalm 119, there are two other big observations before we move forward that that we need to bring to light here as we won't be walking through the entirety of the psalm. There are actually eight different types of words that are here used for God's instructions. There's a slide here that's going to put those up for you. If you were to to walk through all 176 verses, you'll see that God's teaching, his instruction, is referred to using these eight different words or categories of words. They are the law, the commands, the promises, the testimonies, the precepts, the statutes, Then the ordinances, rules, and judgments is all one category of word. And then finally, the word itself. Now, usually when we come across specific words in Scripture, we want to focus on that word and figure out what it means in that context. And we want to expand our understanding of how that heightens the teaching of that verse. But here in Psalm 119, we need to understand that as the psalmist is engaged in this poetic expression, he's going to use these eight words interchangeably. 
They're going to be used to fit the rhythm, to fit the meter of what he's trying to say. We're not necessarily to dive into each of them in each instance, but to understand how they express the totality of God's teaching in a multifaceted way so that it encompasses all of our lives' needs. A second observation with that that's important for us to know, that there are 176 verses here that 174 of them use one of these expressions. There's only two verses in the psalm that don't focus on them. Psalm 119, 122 focuses on the faithfulness of God and some Psalm 119, 132 focuses on the grace of God. Both great attributes and understandings of God that enhance what we know about him. But they're the only two verses in the entirety of this psalm that don't point back directly to God's word. And I believe that the focus in the repetition of that is intentional as it's a pattern for us. That we would follow the pattern of scripture of saturating ourselves with God's word. Of looking to it so that we understand who God is through his revelation in his word. You see, the first two verses of this chapter point us in a direction for the understanding that the individual who puts themselves on this pursuit is greatly blessed. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole hearts. The pattern of scripture says the person who is pursuing the Lord is blessed. We are to, to begin our journey with that, to pursue the Lord through his word. But more than that, we're to understand that we pursue him through his word, but we must truly fixate upon the person of scripture. It's not enough to pursue God's word if we're not willing to pursue him as well. As we jump into the meat of our text this morning, we see that the psalmist begins with several parallel focuses about what it looks like to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Now, some of these phrases can be possibly confusing or maybe even discouraging as we read through them. Verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Verse 3, who also do no wrong. Now, when I read that, that can be quite confusing. Blessed is the perfect person. That might be the way you understand what that's saying. But if we're honest, we understand that we are not the perfect person, that we are not the one who is blameless, nor are we the one who does no wrong. We've had the privilege of walking through the, the book of First John in our student ministry. And in doing so, we've seen how the dualistic and Gnostic thoughts were, were present in that day and age. In that time, what was happening was people were saying the spiritual is good, but the physical is bad. So you must deny and get rid of the physical and only become a spiritual person so that you can be perfect and sinless. And as the people that John was ministering to happened to start seeing that, they were very discouraged because they continued to sin. They continued to not be perfect. And that was not the gospel that had been told to them. The gospel that had been told to them was one of grace that allowed them to see that their focus was to dwell on the fact that Christ had been a propitiation or a sacrifice in their place. And that their standing before God was based upon who he was and not upon their own failures. But when we look back in our verse to see what's happening, 
this verse helps us to see, verse 3, that when we do no wrong means really when we wrong others. It focuses our attention to the horizontal level, the relationships that we have with one another. The verse would better be read, who do no wrong to someone or who are not guilty of wronging someone. You see, our horizontal relationships demonstrate to us at times how our vertical relationship with the Lord is. The way in which we treat one another displays to others how we value them and ultimately how we value God and his word. 1 John 4 helps us to see that our love for the Lord should be displayed in our relationships with others. If God has truly displayed his love to us and we've truly accepted and want to flow that out to others, it will impact the relationships around us. Psalm 119 verses 4 and 5 show how that overflowing of that love impacts this individual. He's overwhelmed by the way in which God has revealed himself to him. He gives us a great ask that he would be steadfast and that he would be able to keep the statutes of the Lord. And in doing so, he displays his own understanding of his unworthiness. So his unworthiness does not say that he feels he has arrived at perfection, but knows that the pursuit begins with looking to the Lord. But what I really want us to draw our attention to is the thought that we see here in our section in verses 6. It's also repeated in 15 and other times throughout Psalm 119. It's this idea of fixating or fixing our eyes upon the Lord. And now this unbroken stare that we have is not the morning stare as we look as we're choking down our first cup of coffee, hoping that we can engage the world around us. But it's actually meditating and beholding the one who we look to. It's gazing upon the God of the universe and understanding that we do so, seeking to understand the multifaceted nature that he has. One of the greatest blessings of being involved in a local body is the aspect of community that you have. And so I have experienced this many times in my life where I benefit from the way in which the people around me are able to speak God's word into my life. How they're able to take God's word and give me instruction, give me correction, and lay out for me a path that I should be pursuing. One of the greatest times that I remember this was when I was in a high school student. It's one of the reasons that I serve in high school ministry. It's one of the reasons that many of our high school leaders and middle school leaders serve with the kids that they serve with is because of the impact that others were able to have upon them in that time. One specific thing that I remember from my high school years was I had a mentor who sat down with me and asked me a simple question. He said, do you love your parents? To which, of course, I said, yes. I love my parents. He said, well, do you really love your parents? And I was like, yeah, why are you asking me? Of course I love my parents. And so he was connected. He was involved in my life. He knew what was going on. He had the ability to sit there and say, you know what? I really don't think you love your parents. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I think you like the things that your parents give you. You like the car they gave you. You like the house that they provide for you. You like the opportunities that they give you to to have food and to have your friends over. You like the things that your parents provide, but you don't really love your parents. I said, well, what do you mean? How do you know that? He goes, well, if you loved your parents, I would see that in the way you interact with them. 
I would see the way that which you respond to the discipline that they bring, the way in which you respond to the instruction that they have for you, how they desire to have a relationship with you, but it seems like you just want the things that they provide. You see, your parents are standing there with their hands wide open, trying to provide things for you, and you're willing to go take the things out of their hands without ever looking to their face. I was like, wow, that's, that's a lot. And he goes, well, I'm not done. <laughs> because that right there is the same way you're treating God. You like the idea of God. You like the concept that God loves you. You like that he provides security for you, that he's done these things for you. And you're willing to come and take all of these blessings that God has, but you're never really looking to God. You stop short of actually interacting with him because you just want what you feel like he provides for you. You desire the things of God, but not the relationship with him. And he was right. He was right. He had the ability to take God's word, to see my life, to see the way it was patterned after, and to speak correction into my life for that. And I'm very grateful for men and women that are doing that within the body of Christ, pointing us to the greater purposes, to allow us to understand greater what we need to understand about what God is trying to do in our lives. Because it's not just enough to say that we love God's word and that we read God's word and that we do these different things. Because if we do that and we truly don't have a relationship with God, it's meaningless. We can know all these things about God's word without ever actually knowing him. One commentator talked about it this way as I, as I read in studying. He said, it's perfectly true that the main purpose of the psalmist is the glorification of the law and the setting forth of the joy that he as a truly godly man experiences in observing its precepts. But as he constantly emphasizes, the law is the expression of the divine will. It's not the law per se that he loves. He loves the law because it tells of God's will, and he loves it because he loves God first. If we are to be transformed individuals whose lives overflow with the depths of the gospel, it begins with us fixating upon the person of Scripture, with us beholding the God of the universe who makes our relationship with him possible in the first place. We must follow the pattern of Scripture and fixate on the person of Scripture for that to be true in our lives. You know, parenting is, is a wild thing that, that people try to prepare you for, but I don't really think anybody can ever fully prepare you for all aspects of parenting. Um, one of the things that I was not prepared for uh, was the amount of questions kids will ask. And uh, some of you I see can understand what I mean by that. Uh, whether it's that they're nosy, that they're curious, that they weren't listening the first 20 times you gave the answer, whatever it is, they ask a lot of questions. And usually there's a follow-up question to the question. And then another question that follows up to that one. And if you're not, if you're not saying what they want to hear, they find another way to ask a question to see if we can circle back around to where they want it to go. But they continuously ask questions. They work towards the answer they seek, and they continually move in that process. I've learned with adults, it's not necessarily the same. Adults are generally willing to ask one question. They've received your thoughts, and now they're going to go try what they think is best. 
they might come back and ask another question, probably won't. Uh, but they take that question and they don't move forward with it or they move forward with their own understanding of what's there. You see, the third pursuit that the psalmist displays for us this morning is we should follow the questions of life. We should follow the questions that are there so that we seek the understanding that God has and desires us to have. And we should never stop until we find those answers. When we look back into Psalm 119, the second stanza begins with an honest question from the psalmist. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can, how can anyone follow the path that God has laid out before him? This concept here is obviously easy if we take it in terms of just a man in his pursuit of purity. We understand the age of the world that we live in and how the culture has set themselves up against that. How can that man stay pure? That is an amazing pursuit and one that there is not a simple answer to. But more than that, each of us have a pursuit that God is calling us to move forward with on a path that he has placed us on where the answers aren't always going to be simple. We must wrestle with the truths of Scripture. We must wrestle with the sinfulness of man and the opportunity that God is looking to work in and through us to move us forward to be the men and women he desires us to be. But the problem with many of the questions that we ask is the answers are hard for us to hear sometimes. And the scriptures lay out for us what happens often when people come to hard answers. One of the greatest versions of this or experiences or pictures of this I see in the scriptures is John chapter 6. It comes on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and teaching on the bread of life. The people start to kind of grumble and wrestle with what he has said. It's there in John 6.60 that the apostle records, When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who there were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus goes from revealing himself to over 5,000 people to continually explaining to them what he's all about and what it means to pursue him, what the, what the picture of his body and the sacrifice that he will have for them is. And he goes from over 5,000 people to 12 that are left. Only the disciples stay, and even within the disciples, one of them is not pursuing him for his true purpose. You see, when many people experience difficult answers to their questions, they stop their pursuit. Whether it's that they give up on pursuing it or they lose interest in doing what's hard, they stop short of what God has called them to do. But the individuals who desire to find delight and satisfaction in the Lord will persevere and persist through the difficult answers, to seek to find the one who is revealed in the scriptures. 
Because the individual who follows the pattern of Scripture, who fixates on the person of Scripture, who follows the questions of their life, will find the answers in Scripture. When we look back in our passage, we see that the rest of this stanza, verses 10 through 16, demonstrate the prayer of an individual who seeks the Lord. He says, with my whole heart, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And he goes on to explain the many things that are revealed to us in God's word. The scriptures pertain all of the things that we need for life and godliness. But the pursuit of them is difficult. The answers that we find in there are hard for us to understand at times. Because it's so against what we live in in our culture. It tells us of our humility that we need. The fact that we need God to reveal himself to us. That we need something daily that we cannot provide for ourselves. These are hard things for us to hear. But remember that the scriptures are not there just for themselves. But they're there to point us to the person of the scriptures, who is the power in which we will have victory. As we meditate on that, as we reflect on that, it creates a picture of immersing ourselves in God's word that we see in other places in scripture. Like Colossians 3.16, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When we pursue God through the pursuit of Scripture and we meditate on it, when we make it an aspect of our life, we begin to treasure Him in our hearts. We begin to reflect upon Him throughout our days so that we're not prone to forget the teachings, but in our moments of trial or difficulties, we know where we stand and the foundation is sure. But let us not forget that it's not enough to know those things if we truly don't know the person that the scriptures reveal. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, does a great job of, of walking through different ways in which we can be guilty of knowing facts about God without actually experiencing him. There is no replacement for a true relationship with God. I remember this, learning this firsthand as I was teaching in Southern California. I taught uh, Bible to kids, kindergarten through eighth grade. There was 440 of them in the school that I was at. And so I would go and I would teach them uh, multiple times a week. And the middle school class that I have received letter grades like the rest of the school. And I had to, to put standards and do tests and quizzes and different things like that to help display their academic knowledge and what they were learning. Uh, but grading a person on the Bible is a very difficult thing because I learned that you could have a knowledge of the Lord without truly wanting to know him. So there was an openly atheistic student in my school who had 100% in my class because they were able to recall all the information for the tests and quizzes. They turned in every assignment. They made sure that everything was done correctly, but they desired no relationship with the one that they were displaying that knowledge of. You see, when we look here at our psalmist, we see that that's not the case for him. He doesn't just know facts about God, but he has experienced the goodness and the greatness of God. We see that first because he desires not to sin against God. 
He doesn't say, I desire to do good things so people will look at me and think good things of me. But he understands the holiness of God and he understands his own sinfulness. He also understands that the Lord is to be the one who is blessed, not just his word. It's not just the commands, the teachings that are, that are good for him to know so that he can move forward with his life, but it's the true God who has placed him that helps him to understand his blessings. Several other versions of the scriptures really help my mind see better the way in which that develops his heart for worship. As he reflects on that, as he meditates upon that, it takes him back to want to sit at the feet of his God and to reflect on him in his throne. Third and finally, he displays his wholehearted pursuit of the Lord through the genuine nature that that is. Everything that he displays is a natural process. It's not something he seeks to add to who he is, but it is who he has truly become as he has been transformed. And he displays multiple times throughout this psalm that even if he gets just a glimpse of who God is, that's enough. J.I. Packer says it this way, a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. There's no replacement for a genuine relationship with God. And the scriptures today hold the answers to our questions in life. They call us to pursue God through his word, but we continue to develop the relationship with him as he continues to reveal himself in his word to us. We can see a similar pursuit in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2 reads, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will find the understanding of the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come understanding and knowledge. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil and from the men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, who walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perseverance of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. That reflection of that pursuit the importance of it, to go from speaking to shouting, to pursue it as we pursue the richest of treasures, displays for us the importance of our pursuit and our continual pursuit of who God is. Because the design of this world is against the character of God. It's there to pull us away from who he is. It's there to try to guard us from the way in which he has revealed himself for us. But the pursuit gives benefits for those who persevere. So let's circle back to the question which started us on the journey. How do I transition conversations to spiritual things? What I've come to learn is we're actually not really asking the best question with that. Because when I hear that question, what people are usually saying is, tell me what I do to do this. 
Give me something to do. The question would better be phrased, how do I become the person whose life overflows into every aspect? Because it's not about what we do, it's about who we are. If our life is not genuinely transformed, it will not overflow into every area. We can try to add behaviors, we can try to modify what we're doing, but it's not going to be successful. But how do we transform our lives? We don't. The Spirit of God does that for us. It's Him who takes off the blinders of our heart and opens our eyes to His wondrous truths and continues to transform us daily as He renews our mind as we reflect upon Him. You see, we'll never be the person who is able to consistently transfer our conversations or begin conversations with people around us about spiritual things until we are truly transformed by the gospel. You know, there's so many things that that will do to us because when we are transformed by the gospel and we're overflowing and we're filled with the truths that are in there, when the pressures of life come and squeeze us, the living waters of the scriptures will flow out. When we sit and reflect in times where we're not in those situations, our minds will be focused upon the things of the Lord. And that doesn't mean that every sentence that comes out of our mouth is always focused on what God is teaching. And I think that's a big thing that people uh, often struggle with is because they want that for their life, but they just don't want to be that type of person. Perhaps you know the type of person that I'm talking about. You know, we talked about CrossFit a little bit earlier. You guys might have heard the joke like, how do you know that somebody is in CrossFit? Well, you don't have to ask. They've already told you. Um, or, you know, maybe the same thing with essential oils or air fryers. Whatever it is that somebody believes is going to revolutionize your life, they've already told you about it. You don't have to ask. And so we don't want to be annoying, and we also don't want to be hypocritical. Honestly, one of the hardest things is when moms and dads come and they say, hey, we want to start these conversations with our kids, but we just know we're not perfect. And so they're going to be like, yeah, that's great. You want to talk about forgiveness? Well, why are you mad at me right now? Or why are you doing this? Or I saw what you said the other day. They see all the aspects of our life and they say, you know, I, I want to do that, but I don't, I don't want it to look bad. I don't want to hurt the gospel by the way I live my life and work through that. But we have to understand that it's, it's a progression. That the transformation that takes place continues in the process of sanctification. And that we should never let our own imperfections take away from the faithfulness and the perfections of the Lord. Because what happens is when you step out in truth and you step out in faith and you start having these types of questions and answers and conversations with people, what you'll see is the most of the people around you have been waiting for that. As I've gone back and talked with some of these individuals who have asked the question to say, hey, how is it working now that you're, you're, you're attempting, you're trying, you've, you've set aside your pride, you've set aside your anxieties, and you're willing to engage in those conversations. And there's usually two types of answers. One, they're like, yeah, you know what? I don't know why I was so worried about seeming weird to the non-believer that I was trying to share my faith with, because I know that the God of this world is blind of the hearts and minds of man, and so I should sound weird to them. I should sound different because I'm telling them something that's hard to hear and it's different than anything else that's in their life. So I don't know why I was all caught up in feeling weird when, yeah, of course it's going to be weird. They don't want to hear the truth. They're not ready for that. But that doesn't stop me from sharing that. I've also seen the people who say, you know what I realized as is I, is I started to, to speak on God's word in natural conversation with believers around me is how encouraged they were to have that conversation. 
how ready they were to speak with somebody else about those things. Hearing about people who worked in cubicles who said, yeah, you know, we, we really just don't talk to people at work. We just kind of do our thing and then we go home and I decided I'd talk to the guy on the other side of the wall that, you know, we're five feet away from each other and never look at each other's face. And as I said, hey, man, you know, I, I just want to tell you what, what I've been learning. And, I, and, you know, God's been teaching me these things. And to hear the person on the other side of the wall say, hey, man, you know, I've been sitting here for years wondering if I could ever start a conversation in my workplace with somebody else about things of the Lord. And now here you are sitting on the other side of the wall and you've been doing the same thing, waiting to reflect on the goodness of God with the people around him. In homes, for them to say, it's been great to see how it's transforming the way in which we engage at mealtimes or in our life as we talk about our days, the ways in which God is preparing and molding and shaping and using each one of us and the way we understand God's scriptures to help display the way in which he's molding and shaping us to be the people he desires us to be. Because if we truly believe that the gospel has transformed our life, and if we truly believe that it's worth sharing with others, it should naturally come up in the conversations that we have because the sweet morsels of truth that we have will be there for others to feast upon as we have been feasting upon them in our own lives. So as you begin to grow in your understanding of how living your transformed life lays out for you, I want you to understand that it's my prayer that what the psalmist's prayer would be true, that we would delight in our pursuit of the Lord, that we would find satisfaction in him and him alone, and that in doing so, we would see how the scriptures provide for us an opportunity to share the gospel in our schools, in our workplaces, wherever the Lord takes us, our conversations in our homes, the meals that we have, whatever it be, that the gospel saturates us, fills us to overflowing, and goes into every facet of our life so that we can be used to be a part of God's mission to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied to God's glory. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the way in which it reveals your character and reveals yourself to us. We pray that we would pursue you through your word that we would seek to grow in our understanding of who you are, that you would constantly reveal yourselves as you reward us for our pursuit, that when we come to places that are difficult or hard for us to understand, that we would not draw back from pursuing, but would draw even closer to seek for you to reveal yourself to us, to show us the men and women you desire us to be for your kingdom and glory, that you would use us in mighty ways for your kingdom and glory. And that in doing so, that we would become the type of people who are transformed in all areas of our lives. That we would point and reflect others back to you. And that in doing so, we would receive the joy of a faithful servant. We pray for your blessing upon this word. May it become the type of people that you find in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.